The following story was told by Sarah, a writer and mental health advocate from Mental Health Connecticut's Write On program. This story is raw, personal, and may contain language not suitable for younger listeners. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'll be sharing some diary entries from my time in the psych ward. Day zero. The smallest room is filled with brightness, but rather than illuminating everything, it blinds me. Or maybe it's my tears that blind me. The light refracts off of each droplet, showing me small glimpses of rainbows that lead to nowhere. They are almost beautiful, but there is no beauty left. I sit uncomfortably divided between the overplush carpet and the icy tile floor. My body is lopsided. It feels right. I sit because standing would set me at mirror level. I have no desire to see my reflection, the fucking failure that I am. Alone, friendless, repulsive, worthless. Why am I still sitting? I should be lying down, not breathing. Finally freeing the world from being encumbered by me. Fucking me, disgusting me. I want to scream. But why? No one cares. No one will hear except me. What I think doesn't matter anyway. I'm a waste. Fucking worthless piece of shit. For once in your life, be brave and just get it over with. The pills are shiny in my hand. I think they must be cool, but the pool of sweat that has formed in my palm blocks me from their sensation. I think they are beginning to melt together, a sticky pile of cowardice. They won't cut as deep as my knife, Theirs is a dull, smooth exit. I sit, looking through rainbows, desperate to take the plunge. Day one. My pillow smells like bleach, most likely to mask the scent of the last crazy person to inhabit this bed who couldn't use 20 minutes of the endless time here to take a shower. This morning, I sat down next to a man who I guessed was homeless before he even offered it up. I could smell the fuzz growing on his teeth every time he opened his mouth to ask me yet another personal question. The nurses are serious about enforcing boundaries until they actually need to. I tried to drop a hint by scooching my chair further and further away with each new rancid breath Subtlety is not successful here. Day two, I have no privacy. I shower quickly, trying to ignore the banging on the bathroom door and the angry man shouting that I had cut him in line. In my experience, you usually have to be standing in a line in order for said line to exist. My roommate can hear this marker, not a pen, because it's too dangerous, running across the paper. This curtain is a joke. This morning, I took a bite of a banana and gagged. It was simultaneously overripe and not ripe enough. I think it must take a concerted effort to fuck up a banana that badly. (laughs) Day three. 
everyone is talking. I'm screaming, but making no noise. I'm empty, but bursting at the seams. Please stop talking. I want to be alone with my thoughts. I'm never alone anymore, but my loneliness never leaves. Another doctor is here. I have all this energy in my chest building constantly larger and larger. I feel it sitting there like a ball of fire, smoldering, flickering, ready to erupt with the slightest bit of kindling. I breathe deeply, praying to extinguish it, but the relief is momentary, like blowing on a burn. Once you stop, the pain returns, searing more than it had before you tried to alleviate it. Day four, I don't know what's wrong with me. My edges are blurring in with the air, lingering out further and further and becoming thinner with time. Eventually, I think I'll dissolve so completely that I'll exist without ever being seen or heard. Maybe I'll feel a reminiscent chill of life occasionally, but it will be too late to pull myself back together. I need an anchor, something that will provide structure to the boundaries I can't maintain. Hopefully, I won't slip through the cracks, like sand trickling back down to the vast anonymity of the beach. Day five. Normalcy is emptiness. I feel so Nothing. Is this better than the ball of energy, the fire writhing in my chest, sending electricity coursing through my veins like a drug? I miss the compulsion of my pre-lithium disease, the dilated pupils and shaking hands, the uncontrollable impulses that drove me here. Now, instead of life coursing through me, I feel numb. How is my heart beating? This pulse must be an illusion. The pumping of blood is imperceptible. Is this what normal feels like? Is this what I've been searching for? I miss the parts of me that I loathe. As my essence dissipates, will anything replace it? Day six. I have a strong suspicion that the something about me that men are drawn to is the same something about me that people tend to run from. It's called being bipolar. The good news about initiating a relationship in a mental hospital is that he already knows I'm crazy. And he's already admitted that he is too. Maybe all relationships should spark from a place of mutual insanity. We all end up there anyway. Today's dinner, carbs with a side of carbs, covered in sodium, and topped with a suspicious meat product. If you're watching your figure, feel free to enjoy some frozen vegetables soaked in oil and covered with even more salt. Get it while it's hot, or at least lukewarm. Day seven. As a child, recess is the best part of the school day. I was never one for recess. It wasn't kosher to bring a book and sit in the corner away from the bustle of the playground. 
I had to actually play. It's a strange concept to consider, mandatory play. Depriving play of spontaneity seems limiting. However, after seven days of breathing nothing but hospital air and seeing the sun only through dingy windows that can never be opened, mandatory play sounds pretty damn fantastic. Now, sitting outside on this concrete ledge, breathing real air and feeling the sun on my face, I write. Third grade me would be proud to know I am not compelled to pretend to enjoy the basketball game that's unfolding next to me or to find something physical to engage with. Observing the group in this industrial courtyard is far more entertaining. Being outside for free time makes me realize just how much this place is like a prison. The illusion of freedom is shattered by the tall fences that surround us and the plethora of chaperones. I wonder if the people in the offices across the way ever stand by the windows and watch the crazy people playing. How must we appear? We'd look like tiny versions of humans lazing around or tossing a football. We'd look normal, but they wouldn't be fooled. Our status as adults is shattered by both the location of our play and the fact that we're granted play at all. I wonder if they'd notice Edwin trying to simultaneously climb a tree and sit at the base of it. Or Allie, who has been walking with a severe limp for the past week, running around on the basketball court. They might see Tatiana, but they wouldn't realize that she hasn't spoken to anyone all day. I wonder what they could potentially see when they look at me. Am I just a girl, stripped of my status as a woman, writing furiously in my diary? Or is there something more? Day eight. I'm lying flat on my back with two nurses casting nervous glances at each other, eagerly awaiting the third nurse who's on her way to the scene. My body is punctured and bleeding in two spots. They hold cotton swabs to the wounds with shaking hands. The third nurse enters the room. It is clear that she's taken aback by the scene that meets her eyes. Discarded needles rest unsanitarily on my bed. The remnants of countless alcohol swabs litter the floor. My arm is in danger of amputation from the tourniquet that has been cutting off my circulation for the past five minutes. I thought routine blood tests were supposed to be routine. Hopefully the third time's the charm. Day nine. We're supposed to be working on getting better here. Unless, of course, we actually start getting better. That shit needs to get shut down ASAP. For example, it is completely inappropriate to get along with your roommates, especially if you want to forego watching TV and playing your 10,000th game of Crazy Eights to have meaningful conversation with them. It is also highly frowned upon to hug people goodbye after nine days of being trapped with them in the hospital, but only if your name is Sarah and that bitch nurse is watching and it's Monday at five o'clock. And don't even think about bringing water into the five hours of group therapy you have a day, even though your doctor told you to ramp up your hydration. 
that would be shockingly inappropriate. However, it is okay to tell people their parents don't love them at lunch, especially if you're annoying enough that the nurses don't want to discipline you. It is also absolutely fine to have a really loud and forceful conversation about anal sex and lobotomy procedures with someone who is clearly uncomfortable and who has repeatedly asked you to stop while a nurse stands by and watches. Just whatever you do, make sure you put on socks immediately after you shower. I thought freedom was supposed to be sweet. All I taste is bitterness. I miss the white walls, white floors, and the white sheets from which the scent of bleach never fades. Safety thrives from a lack of choice and a lack of color, it seems. Being there was like being a child again. My primary responsibility was happiness. Other people were responsible for feeding me, scheduling my day, and making sure I took my medicine and didn't do any harm to myself. On the outside, happiness ceases to be the goal. Unfortunately, insurance companies don't care about health, and especially not happiness. I should be better by now anyway. Thank you. This story was recorded in front of a live audience at CT Improv's Theater in Hartford, Connecticut. Want to hear more young adults find their voice and speak their truth? Go to mhconn.org slash write on. That's W-R-I-T-E-O-N.